Dateline, 19th of October, 2014. Oi, Steve, knock it off. You're home now, mate. Get back into the work groove. Come on. Back to reality, Bear. Here I am in the studio. Granted, it hardly seems like five minutes since I left. Yeah, well, I didn't want to tell you, but you're still actually on the plane dreaming. Yes, well, you know, jet lag is a wonderful thing. And, uh, well, welcome to the Australia Desk, folks, I guess, for episode... Well, how many do I miss, Grant? Are we up to 321 yet? Uh, we certainly are, mate. We certainly are. And just to help prove the fact that you're dreaming, Virgin Airways heard you were coming back and they went out and bought Tiger Airways. Well, how much did they pay for that, mate? Oh, we'll get to that at the end, mate, because I think you're just going to freak. Oh, boy. Okay, then. We'll wait with bated breath. Well, I tell you what, uh, Las Vegas, what a what a, what a place. Uh, what an experience. And uh, I've never seen such humongous hotels in all my life. Huge, huge hotels, laddie. But, yeah, you survived. And um, I was I was looking. I, I told you before you went, don't wind up on the set of CSI Las Vegas. Yeah, well, I, I think the whole place is like a, a giant movie set, actually. In fact, um, we were driving through Death Valley at one stage, and uh, it looked just like a movie set, actually. It was actually uh, quite spectacular scenery. But, uh, mate, i tell you what, uh, we flew over there and back with Qantas and um, flew on an A380, something I've never done before. And i, I got to tell you, I was impressed with the 380. I was expecting it to be at least as noisy as a 747, on which I've written oh, on no. plenty of those. But uh, it was actually very reasonably quiet, actually. Very, very smooth. Yep, it has a great reputation for being very, very very quiet and a lot of fun, especially if you get to be in the uh, bigger seats for those of us who uh, who need the space. But unfortunately, most of us can't afford it. Well, here's an interesting thing, Grant. Um, on the way over, they put us way, way down the back on the bottom deck. In uh, We went in economy class, of course, and uh, uh, we were in, I don't know, probably row 87 or 88. It was right down the back. And there was quite a reasonable amount of seat pitch, actually. You could really sort of stretch out. It was, was pretty good. But uh, on the way back, they put us about the middle, I I guess in sort of in the row 54 or something like that and I'm telling you mate those economy class seats are a lot closer together and I'm, I'm, I thought I was imagining it but uh, I don't think I was. Did you check on Seat Guru to see what they had to say? Yeah I did look on Seat Guru actually and uh, it actually did warn me beforehand that the seats they'd given us were uh, not exactly the best and uh, well they were right. Unfortunately for us the <laughs> flight back was uh, absolutely chock-a-block full so nothing much I could do. I did try to get uh, you know reassigned. In fact uh, one thing I didn't like was that uh, Qantas's booking system split my family over three rows. I didn't really appreciate that yeah, too much. Yeah, that's but, just uh, ridiculous because, uh, yeah, you all got the same surname except for he who tagged along. And, uh, yeah, you'd think that would put you all together because you're all on the one booking. That's most odd. Yes, and uh, that was that was a little bit uh, annoying. But uh, i tell you what, overall, a fantastic experience. Um, you know, I've flown Qantas plenty of times in the past to Qantas International. Uh, I think the last time I flew overseas with them was 2007, and I'd have to say I wasn't overly impressed with them on that trip but this time uh, very impressed uh, the cabin crew were excellent uh, my son in fact um, had a bit of a medical emergency or well, not an emergency but a bit of an issue on the way back and uh, they couldn't have handled that uh, with any more professionalism if they tried it was really really good so thumbs up to Qantas and uh, you know it was also very good that I uh, got to meet the captain of the flight over and uh, he was gracious enough to give uh, my uh, family a cockpit tour once we were safely on the ground at Los Angeles so uh, oh, talk about cool. giving the uh, VIP treatment I was uh, very very pleased. Well I hear you got a bit of a VIP treatment uh, in San Francisco with an aircraft. I did indeed, yes. Uh, now, a uh, big shout out to uh, Airplane Geeks listener and in fact uh, PCD 
you listener Fred Sampson who was good enough to contact us and said, oh, by the way, I've got uh, you know access to a nice 172S, a Cessna 172S. And uh, for those playing along at home, that's a glass cockpit version of a Cessna 172. I've flown plenty of Cessna 172s. I've actually never flown a glass cockpit version with a uh, G1000 panel. And uh, yeah, really, really interesting. But uh, talk about a bucket list Bravo. If you, you know, many of our listeners are pilots and would know what Class B airspace is, Class Bravo. Uh, Fred managed to get us cleared and we took off and went right over the top of uh, San Francisco's International Airport, flew right around the bay, back and forth across the uh, Golden Gate Bridge over Alcatraz. It was absolutely spectacular. It was right on sunset when we did this and it was beautiful, smooth flying. And uh, very bravely, Fred actually let me do most of the flying. So I appreciate that. We actually didn't manage to prang it into the bridge or anything. So uh, a really, really wonderful experience. And uh, yeah, it was it was great to get up there and, and be cleared. And I guess, uh, you know, thanks should also go to the uh, air traffic controllers there at SFO that day. They were very, very kind to us. Yeah, we're going to have to raise this with the uh, local air services guys and find out why on earth we can't do this in Melbourne. Because that'd be great. Track right over the top of Tuller. Yes, yeah, it would be good. Of course, I, you know, I... I actually got in a bit of trouble for doing that one day many, many, uh, many, yes. many, many years ago. We shan't talk about that. But, uh, well, yeah, no, I actually yes. got some uh, some uh, additional uh, Cessna 172 time uh, out of North Las Vegas Airport thanks to uh, Airwork Las Vegas. They're a member of the Rod Rakick's Open Airplane Organization, and uh, they were very, very, uh, very generous to me. They let me uh, take a 172 out with one of their instructors, Jackie Mars, and uh, she did a, a great job of putting up with my, uh, you know, interesting and uh, well out-of-practice uh, crosswind takeoff <laughs> technique. But... Uh, uh, we did a, a fantastic uh, tour around uh, the skies of Las Vegas as well and uh, even managed to stick to landing eventually, mate. So I was pretty oh, happy with that. Nice, nice, nice. So do you reckon that uh, following those uh, couple of flights, you could uh, jump into a single seater and fly off a racetrack? Well, I don't know about that. In fact, um, the Red Bull Air Race ended up being a bit of a fizzer that way because of the weather. Um, on the practice day, uh, they they really got out there and, and strutted their stuff. But the, the winds really sprung up for the race day on the Sunday and uh, so much so that it was pushing the uh, pylons, the air gates there over. In fact, um, Hannes, Hannes Arch, the uh, the Austrian uh, world champion, he, he went around and in his uh, top 12 run and uh, hit two pylons, which is unheard of uh, for him, even to hit one, but to hit two. But I think it probably was more of a case of the pylons reaching out to hit him. That's how strong the winds were. So uh, we got through to most of that top 12 round until we got to the Canadian uh, Pete McLeod. He went to make his approach into the uh, circuit and then just uh, overflew it and decided that uh, no, it was not safe to go in there. And that was quite interesting, Grant, because um, they, they actually didn't know what to do with themselves. Actually, it took them about an hour and a half before they could work out what to do. Uh, eventually, they uh, called off the race meeting altogether and yeah, they ended up declaring Pete McLeod the winner because he had been the fastest qualifier on the previous uh, day. Uh, I don't know that that's like really Formula the... Formula One, mate. Sounds yeah, like Formula One. Yeah, I don't know that that's the way that Pete McLeod would have really liked it to have been. But uh, anyway, that's the way it worked out. Uh, so well, well done for him. And to be honest with you, some people are saying he doesn't deserve it on that basis. But um, I actually don't agree with that because Pete's really had a fantastic season. Uh, he was one of the uh, the backmarkers in the last season back in 2010. And he's really had a really solid season. So, you know, I think he deserves it. And, uh, you know, we're hoping to talk to uh, Pete McLeod from his base up there in Canada within the next few days and uh, you know certainly um, we'll put that in the next episode of PCDU Grant but uh, speaking of uh, pilots who've uh, had perhaps not such a great season but uh, still really good to talk to was the American champion Kirby Chambliss and I recorded an interview with him trackside. Kirby um, not such a great season for you you've had a, a bit of a struggle at the start of this season. Oh yeah so you had to bring that up thanks yeah, a lot. Sorry yeah sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> no and we're not going to get it fixed this season we, we've got a lot of things in place in order to fix it for next year we're a little bit behind the power curve on this um, to say that I am frustrated would be like one of the biggest understatements in the world. 
um, especially in Dallas. I thought we, I thought we had a pretty good shot at it there, and then um, you know some things just didn't go our way, and uh, yeah, so super disappointed. Uh, I'm a very competitive person. You know, I've won this thing twice. I mean, I've won the national championships and a lot of medals in world level competition, and so uh, yeah, I'm a competitive person, and I'm very frustrated. Being here in front of your home audience, I guess, is a real motivating factor. I know the last year from Texas, I believe. Right, right, yeah. So that'd be a real motivating factor to get out there and, and really push it hard. Sure, yeah. I mean, I, you know, everybody's always asked me, like, when we're in Texas. I mean, I was born in Texas, and they're like, you know, you, is it special to win here? I said, it's special to win everywhere. But yeah, of course, in your in your home country, you want to win too. But I want to win everywhere, and uh, so. There's, it's kind of a double-edged sword. You know, you have a lot of more media and also family and friends, and so, but you got to push all that out of your mind and focus on what you need to do, which is win. There's been a lot of talk this season about the standardization, uh, standardized propellers, standardized engines. How have you found that? Tra- was that a transition for you, or are you already using this sort of equipment? Previously? No, I mean, it was a transition, too, for, like, all of us because we all had our own uh, engine builders and stuff, and we could do a little bit more with them. Um, you know, to say that they're all the same is, uh, you know, there's no such thing. I mean, they're supposed to be within 2%. Um, I don't know that they, you know, I think that they're close to that. But if you have 2%, even let's just say they're 2%, 2% is three quarters of a second on the track. Yeah, and that's well, all it takes, isn't be, it? That's yeah. all it takes, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. so uh, um, we know we're a little bit slower on the straights right now. We fixed half of it. We had, uh, When we were in Malaysia, we were 10.4 knots slower just on the straights. So no matter what I would do, we were going to be slower than the front runners. We fixed about half of that now. We're, we're about five knots or so slower than the front runners, and I'm hoping to be able to make that up here on the track. How do you, you would be used to the density altitude here, obviously, coming from this part of the world. Right. I was talking to Matt Hall a bit about that earlier. That, I guess, is something that would make you feel a bit more comfortable flying in this part of the world compared to um, Europe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, well, we've all flown shows and stuff at density, you know, higher density altitude. Hell, I've flown air shows at 8,200 feet when it's 100 degrees, you know. Wow, so, yeah. and then the airplanes, you know, it's it's horrible. But the good thing about it is, is that we're all subject to the same conditions, you know. So, um, I don't know that it's going to give me a huge advantage. I mean, I think uh, these guys are, everybody's so experienced, you know, that... Uh, um, you know, everybody's quite good and, and a lot of experience doing this at different elevations and stuff too. I've been watching the Red Bull Air Race for many, many years and um, it's interesting to contrast your um, your flying style compared to, say, the British. You make a lot of very um, quick, deliberate, almost aggressive control inputs. That's obviously something that works for you. W- where did that style come from originally? Is that the way you've flown air shows? Yeah, I mean, with competition aerobatics, you know, we have a thing we call bumping off the line so all the G comes on at one time, and it's to make the radiuses look the same. And for a judge, it's not important out here at all. I mean, I'm just trying to, you know, move the airplane as fast as I can move it from one gate to the next, you know. So you want to be smooth, but there's times that you just want to be super aggressive because, you know, if you take your time rolling, you're going the wrong way. You know, you got to get that airplane on its side and you got to pull it to go back the other way. Yeah, yeah. So that's when you need to be fast and aggressive. And I suppose the um, pulling into some of those tight turns with the 10G limit now, though, yeah. that can be a challenge too, I imagine. That affects us. You know, we, we, how we were going over when it was 12. Now that they dropped it to 10, it definitely makes it harder because there's nothing, you know, people think that, the airplane doesn't limit you. I mean, this airplane is set up to go plus or minus 12. That's its operating range. So it's more than happy to go over 10 Gs. And it's it happens so quick that, um, you know, it's all seat of the pants flying. I mean, from after I go through that start, finish, start gate, I don't look down at the panel until I'm finished coming off the track. You know, there's no time. Those gates come up so fast. So that really takes a lot of judgment on you. I was going to ask yeah. you if you had a G-meter in the aircraft. but Yeah, there's one in there, but there's no way. I mean, by the time that you've... 
you pull on the stick, you've, you've hit the G. You know, you're in it. it it'll, it'll go from zero to 10 or 12 Gs in a fraction of a second. Well, Kirby, it's a privilege to talk to you and a privilege to meet you after all these years of watching you. Um, I wish you all the best for today in front of your home crowd, Thank and I uh, hope it goes well. Thank you. Nice to meet you. Appreciate Thank it. You. So there we go, Grant. i tell you what, it was. Uh, he's one of the pilots that we actually haven't interviewed before, Kirby Chambliss, and uh, I thought a very frank talk there about how things are going and why things have not been working for both him and for Mike Gooley and the other American pilot in the series this year. Um, if folks, if you want to go to our SoundCloud space at uh, Playing Crazy Down Under or even onto our Facebook page, you can hear all the interviews I did there at the Red Bull Air Race. I talked to Hannes Arch, Mike Gullian, and uh, also talked to Matt Hall, the Australian, a couple of times. Obviously, we've got to support Matt Hall. Um, hey, Matt. Yeah, it was uh, you know interesting to uh, get their perspectives on uh, you know what's going, you know how it's been coming back into this season after that uh, rather long break in between. Well, mate, I've got to say that uh, when that uh, Kirby Chandler's uh, interview started off, I thought we uh, probably aren't going to get to interview him ever again, but he settled <laughs> in. It was okay, man. He settled yeah, out. I managed to smooth things over. Well, you know, I didn't really know what to say, but, you know, let's be honest, they're, they're right at the bottom. I mean, those, those yeah. two guys, and, uh, you know, you know, they're, they're really serious players, and they're out there to win, and, um, you know, I, I kind of feel sorry for them, particularly when the last two rounds have been in the US. I mean, it would have been good for them to at least come second yeah. in that hall. Yeah, no, a podium at home is always a wonderful thing, let alone a podium anywhere, but uh, well, that's all pretty cool, uh, but I think we're going to be running out of time and probably pushing the friendship with the boys. We can probably stretch it a little because you're back now, but uh, yeah, I think we probably should wrap this one up, mate. Yes, we absolutely should. I, I should just mention too, though, before we go, that um, unfortunately David uh, was not able to make it, but uh, fortunately for me, and I tell you, very fortunately, Grant, I was able to, uh, and I should thank uh, Stephen Frischling from Flying with Fish for really <laughs> helping me out with this. So I managed to get a uh, last-minute flight over to Philadelphia, a city I've never been to before, and uh, managed to spend the day with uh, David and his lovely wife, Michelle, and it was a really great experience. I can verify for all you listeners uh, that, yes, David does in fact live very, very close to Philadelphia Airport, <laughs> and uh, David also took me to have a genuine Philly cheesesteak, and uh, I can guarantee you that I am going back <laughs> to that city because it was absolutely <laughs> wonderful. I'm so upset. I haven't had a real Philly cheesesteak in decades now. I, I'm so missing them. I've I've tried them in so many places and they just don't work. But anyhow, anyhow anyway. So anyway, we better wrap this episode. We better wrap this Oz desk up. But uh, I can't. We can't sign off before you tell me how exactly how much did uh, Virgin pay for Tiger Airways, mate? Well, the word is, mate, they paid a whole dollar. A whole dollar, eh? Well, it looks like they got ripped off. I suppose we'll talk about that next week. <laughs> I know. I'm, I'm still shocked they paid a dollar to Singapore Airlines. Oh, Singapore Airlines are still asking for their 99 cents change, but anyhow. Yeah, well, I still want my complaint answered. Anyway, we'll, we'll wait oh. with bated breath until next week. I'm Steve Vischer. And I'm Grant McCarran. I think I need a holiday, mate. Oh, mate, it's such a stress being back in the studio for you. I know. I'm sorry, man. Work, I, I work, had work. to drag you in. and it's. I, mean, you know, I even had to get you up at 11 o'clock in the morning. Even